You're listening to the podcast for grain merchandisers by grain merchandisers. Join us in our good humored attempt to serve as a voice of reason in an industry fraught with misconceptions and half truths. And now, from deep in America's heartland, this is the Elevator's Cut. Welcome back to another episode of The Elevator's Cut. I am one of your hosts, Jason Wheeler. And I'm your other host, Roger Gaddis. Today we have a special treat for you all. We sat down recently with Phil Luce, who is the CEO of White Commercial, and he wanted us to uh, chat about what's coming up this uh, this this year with inverses and everything, and how basis pay, basis traders should be looking at things. So yeah, it helps to have a perspective on what kind of framework we're dealing with for the 22-23 you know merchandising season, and so we kind of go in depth on that a little bit and uh, share some thoughts. So without much further ado, here we go. What's happening here is that that I think it's really important heading into harvest or of course for some of our southern people in the middle of harvest or shortly after depending on where you are early in the season let's say i think it's important early in the season to develop an opinion or a perspective on what kind of season it is that we're getting started on and get the big picture set in the merchandiser's mind because you have to respond to different environments differently so looking at basis and spreads here as we head into fall seems like basis is creeping up talking about corn and soybeans here pretty much uh and spreads are at a minimum not building carry on any given day they might be losing carry so it appears like we're heading into the kind of season that has high high basis at harvest time and flatter inverted spreads which isn't new maybe the third year in a row that we're heading into that but again setting a framework for how to approach this market as early as possible i think sets people up for the greatest amount of success in getting to the end of that season in one piece or profitably. So that's what I wanted to talk to you guys about. And I have a list of points that I hope you'll uh, argue with me about or agree with me about or elaborate on or otherwise have a conversation. Happily. About. All right. <laughs> Assume so. Uh, point number one, high harvest basis. I, I think history shows us pretty well that the higher basis is during harvest time relative to normal for your market, the less room it has to improve after harvest. So when, when you look at a basis chart, when the year's over, if basis is 30 cents higher than normal during harvest time, basis chart tends to be a flat line versus a line that slopes upwards. What do you guys think about that? I think that the important part of, of this point, which is absolutely true, uh, it is, especially maybe for the folks that are less seasoned or brand new to the business. When we say, well, you know, it's it's high at harvest. It has less room to improve after harvest. And then we look at last year and we say, well, you know, in February, I could have sold five over the March beans in St. Louis. But, you know, last week I could have sold 300 over the snow. Yeah. And so the nominal value obviously is is hugely different. But put it on the basis chart and look at it and it's uh, uh, not as near as a good sale as what you sold earlier just because of carrying costs. So, you know, making sure that there's an idea known, it's, we're not talking nominal values here, it's relative to the overall spread structure. 
Yeah, always. always. Yeah, as it should be, but just again, clarification sake, and not that we necessarily see this a lot out of the merchandiser side, but you know, producer side, things like that, where basis isn't isn't the focus. So, one one thing we always say is when we get to the end of the the crop year and we're going into new crop is there's an old crop bid and in years like this it's really strong uh high basis and there's a new crop bid and it's real low and hey those two have to come together and generally what we mean i mean in the back of my mind i'm thinking hey it's going to collapse down to that new crop but we haven't seen that this year they they have come together in a lot of markets because harvest is getting started but they've come together by by new crop getting even stronger and so i'd say the, the other point with that is to be careful especially early in harvest is going to be its strongest and hopefully if harvest comes all at once we will get some sort of lowering of the basis um but it depends on your market if it's not a huge crop it you may not get enough to lower the basis if it doesn't come all at once it might not low you know really crash it either but that early harvest basis and what i'm seeing with guys in the south is there's this that they have a decent crop. Um, there's a there's a really strong basis. Harvest is going, but three weeks from now, the basis is I'm talking, you know, 80 cents or a dollar less. And the farmers are harvesting. They say, well, ABC over here is bidding way more than you have. Well, I have sales of them that I'm going to deliver before I could ever take your grain and deliver it. It would be at that dollar worse basis. So that's the big thing is trying to compete in the spot market when you can't re-deliver those bushels in the spot market is a recipe to lose a bunch of money before you even get started you know yeah you're better off just to you know lose the bushels instead of the money so correct yeah that's a that's, that's a problem that's specific to uh either people who are harvesting really early or people who are expecting a short crop it'll it'll be less of an issue for people who are in a little better supply demand situation heading into harvest. But the, the risk factor that I see with all of this is the, the kind of fundamental principle of basis trading is basis is lowest at harvest time. Then it gets better after that. That's why we build storage bins. And that's why that's, that's the founding principle of build a bin, be there at harvest time with doors open. Of course, you still want to do that. That's still how the business works. But again, an elevated value at harvest time, doesn't mean it has to keep on getting better. That's the that's where you can run into a, a problem is, well, we're 40 cents higher than normal at harvest. It'll just keep on getting higher and higher from here. But the dynamics are really that if you're in a deficit area, unless everybody's deficit, the grain is coming to that high basis and there is some kind of ceiling. And so we tend to see, especially in posted bids, see that bid flatten out. But that brings me to point number two, which is a lot of times the users in an area are uncomfortable with the supply or uncomfortable with the price and they're afraid the price might go higher one way or another they're uncomfortable about something and so they're either locking in a supply or locking in a price or both and they pay way more than they should quote unquote so while the basis chart goes sideways you do see bids early on in the season that are really high maybe if they're for limited delivery or maybe they're for limited quantity maybe not either one in some cases they're structured out over eight or 10 months in some cases they're 90 days or, or quick ship either way it seems like buyers get nervous super early right before harvest right during right after way before the normal quote-unquote basis pop and those numbers that they're willing to pay right there in that moment of fear let's say for lack of a better word are some of the best numbers we ever see they may not show up on a chart but you never quite see that good of a number again that's something you guys see too 
Yeah, I, I think it a couple of things. It has kind of an anchoring effect for the deferred bids as you roll into them, not ahead of time, yeah. but as you roll into them. And, and a good example of that is if you look in the Mid-South you know, corn market right now, they're, they're you know going week to week or first half, last half stuff. But as those periods expire, they're just rolling over to the next thing. And, you know, and that's common for a year where, you know, there's not a, a way to sate demand yet until the Midwest starts shipping, you know, rail down there. So, uh, you know, it's to be expected. And then you figure even not just the buyers, but you look at resellers that are, you know, that's part of their business to go out and, and short these different periods like this and get the stuff in. Well, you know, they're, they're going to pay whatever they have to, to get the stuff in there as well. So I think again, not that we don't see those two parties pay whatever it takes at some point in the year to get the grain. When you consider spreads in a flat market like this over 12 months, if they're doing the same, if they're doing that at harvest, why not take advantage of it there and not have to carry the stuff? You know, it gets back to just, you know, basis falls spreads type thing. I think the, the risk factor that it feels like I see people get hooked on is if it's this good in September, October, mm-hmm. Well, it always gets better between October and January. So if it's this good in October, how good is it going to be in January? And my thesis on that is you're getting the January value now, or maybe even more than that. But e- either way, it's it's too early to sell. <laughs> well, it's really not. The basis popped early. That's the whole point. The basis is high during harvest time because the number that there, there's not enough grain, let's say, to make it fall. And so it's just staying high. So it, it normally doesn't pop I say it drops into harvest and it gets back to where it was after harvest. Well, in this case, that that drop is just being removed because of the supply and demand issues. And so this it's dangerous to think it's so early. I'll just wait a little longer for it to get better. That, that's a that's a risk that I see people get caught in pretty regularly. And it just has to do with habit. Again, we put grain in the bins in the fall. We wait for basis to improve and then we sell it. Well, it's already improved. Now, what do I do? Do I keep on waiting? And uh, my thought is no. If you, if you see that good number, you got to get out there and get it. Because sometimes the fear goes away and we know more about reality and things tend to level out a little bit. Yeah. And logistically, you think, oh, well, I can't move that much this early if it's well. Yeah. But but the bid structure, like Roger was saying, I mean, it's, yeah. it's out there and he's like, well, I don't want short the base because I don't know this year and all that stuff. Well, typically, I mean, we're just selling stuff that you have margin in that, you know, the margin. I mean, just just do that. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, keep your position even up going forward. But yeah, if you get rid of your length, and I, I guess that needs to be pointed out here. That's what we're really talking about right now for harvest is, you know, carrying length, any amount of length forward as opposed to, you know, being short or evened up. Yeah, I have some good news about that is I think specifically coming into this harvest, the high prices that we had in the spring and summer let people build that length at a pretty cheap buy basis relative to what it is now. So mm-hmm. whatever you paid six months ago, three months ago, you're probably paying more than that. Now that's the good news. Mm-hmm. Basis is strong. Now you paid a farmer, a high price at a low basis. I mean, this is really the perfect situation if you, yeah. if you're on top of it. Yeah. And, and every, every day that you wait to, to take action on the sell side is, you know, you're just chipping away at that at, at this point in these type of markets. Yeah. So that that's the, we've already seen that we've seen some Plenty of customers that will be listening to this have already been able to lock in excellent margins on ownership. And that's good. Don't, there's no reason to wait. If it's this good now, can it get better? Who cares? <laughs> which, kind of, which kind of brings me to the, the next point, which is a market that has strong basis at harvest time tends to have flatter inverted spreads and tends to have higher prices 
and those things are all flying around. Volatility is the normal for this kind of market. The, way more often than anybody is comfortable with or wants them to, all three of those things, price bases and spreads are just bouncing around all over the place. And the way you be right about anything in this market is what you said. You see a margin, you take a margin. If you, if you own something against the harvest month and you make a sale against the deferred month and the margin is good, lock in the spread. Put that margin to bed and move on because you're never going to be right about direction of things. I mean, we spend a lot of time in the white commercial team talking about new crop spreads. Some days you feel real optimistic. Some days you feel like, oh, we're never going to see carry again. You can go from feeling really good about your opinion to really bad every 30 minutes sometimes or even less. And so there's no way to be right about, I know which way prices are going. I know which way spreads are going. To a lesser extent, I know which way basis is going. I think we can be the most right about that. But in general, being right doesn't mean outguessing anything. It just means knowing where you stand all the time, being in, being in contact with the buyers and ready to take the margin when it appears and forget about everything else. Yeah, I'd say, I'd say the, the volatility in the, in the spreads is something that, uh, if you think about the grain elevator's position is they are in general helped by carries and hurt by inversions. So one of the, the factors we said earlier was, well, if this good now, how much better, could I miss out on something better? Yes, you could, yeah. but you could miss out on something way worse. That, that's the thing because inverses go on forever. So you locking it down protects you from way more risk than the possibility of a little more in your margin. That possibility is not as great as I guess the risk of just a huge um, move the other way. So and I think maybe there will be uh, two different ways this shakes out for grain businesses in a, in a season like the one we're heading into. Uh, one of them is there are extraordinary margins available for a short time and you should take them and tie all the pieces together. And there'll be other people, maybe the crop is bigger, but the basis is still high because it's short somewhere else. And that has, a, unfortunately, a dampening effect on margins. So part of this whole conversation is if I normally make 35 cents and I've got 27 cents there and I'm paying way more than usual and the spreads aren't there, you know, maybe hanging on for that extra eight cents to your point could lead to a lot worse things happening. And unfortunately, I think we did see a tendency this last year. I mean, it, you totally understand. It's not, it's not hard to understand why someone would say, I need this to make the business go. So I'm just, I just have to wait till I, till that's available. But sometimes the market's telling you loud and clear, you had to pay up, the carry's not there you should expect a smaller margin if you're in that if you're in that large crop but also high basis and narrow spread environment you're going to have to probably just recognize that and and adapt to it and and before everybody forget surely you haven't these last couple of years but this last year July sep roll off at what a dollar inverted and the year before that May July rolled off at a 55 cent inverse and it, it's like i mean that stuff happens in a matter of a week it goes yeah. from that. Ah, it's maybe it can go to a carry to oh no, and you know just don't put yourself in that position if you can. And you know it's interesting if you're looking at you know just just comparing pennies to pennies. If, if you're out there back to what Phil was saying, waiting on the other eight cents at harvest for you know what am I going to do? With this? Why don't you drop your bid eight cents? Take that and go. It's all going to work out the same in the end, right? Yes. I, I, and if you're in an area where you do have a big crop in the yeah. midst of all this. 
it is imperative that you don't pay too much. That's right. <laughs> because it's you're going to have logistics issues and there's no spreads to help. I mean, so that's the worst of all worlds. You have a flat market, a huge crop, and logistics is a nightmare, which is probably going to happen again this year. And there's basis a, moves grain from where it is to where it isn't. And if your market doesn't have it, basis is paying all sorts to get other grain into it. And I mean, the guy used to right. get that's kind of the, the that's the unfortunate you know my basis is super high well why i don't have any grain to sell well that's how it works yeah yeah there's a on that point of dropping your basis there's a psychological component too i talked to a customer yesterday that is in unfortunately one of those very short crop areas but does expect to get some everybody gets grain you know nobody's empty when harvest is over or very rarely uh but doing the math on Basis is already quite a bit high. I think he said 60 or 80 cents higher than normal in his market because it's so short. But when he looks at freight and retail resale values, he can't pay 80 cents more than normal and make any money. So he's paying, you know, 40 cents more than normal or whatever the number is and taking some heat from farmers because his bid is way behind the resellers and everybody else. And he said, I know this is the right thing to do because I, I'm pretty sure I'll lose money if I, if I pay these kind of numbers. I don't think I can make it work out. But it's just embarrassing. You know, it's just hard to have your customer say, hey, so-and-so called me and you're 40 cents out of the market or 30 or whatever it was. And uh, that's a problem without a solution, psychologically speaking. But I guess where we ended the conversation was you can be embarrassed with a margin or not embarrassed and know you're going to lose money. And we have to decide which one of those things is the better place to be. Now, if you have a big crop, it's even easier. We're going to fill up these bins. There's no way I should be bidding up bidding way up for bins I'm going to fill and put a damper on what I can my margin after harvest pretty simple simple but not easy let's say that that's when you just sell to your neighbor <laughs> I brought that up to him and of course sometimes the neighbor when you go to him and say hey let me sell your high basis they say oh no that's not for you but certainly if they'll take it I don't know why you I don't know why you wouldn't I'm not sure why the bid wouldn't be for you either. It's a bid, but anyway. Oh, I know exactly why. <laughs> <laughs> Let me tell you a little secret, old buddy. These, uh, these next two points go, actually, we've already brought them up roughly, so we don't have to spend a lot of time here. But the, the point number four was spreads that are inverted after the crop is in the bin don't tend to turn into carries. You know, before harvest, there's a lot of uncertainty. Things are flying around and things can move and change. Once the crop is harvested, we have a pretty good idea of the usage of it, the availability of it, and the market at that point is saying, okay, May, July corn is inverted. The odds are very strongly against that May, July becoming a carry again. But, I mean, that's just how it's been in my experience. I don't know if you guys seen something different, but there's a lot of conversation because it's stressful and it's a real problem, if, especially if you have logistics that require you to hold stuff a long time. We all talk our book in some way. So it's easy to to make up a story that says, well, this, these things will happen and this spread will become a carry later. And that anything is possible, but that's not likely. It's very, very unlikely for inverses to turn into spreads once we have the, the crop size and quality and all that stuff is pretty well established. Right. And, you know, there's a, to that end on, on the spread part and, and how they tend to behave uh, from harvest going forward. I'm thinking specifically of corn. It applies to beans as well uh, yep. and wheat. Uh, but uh, so you're ahead of time and you're trying to be proactive and you got these pre-spread targets in and you're waiting for, you know, D's July to get to 18 or whatever to cover all your interest and, and all these things. 
Well, what tends to happen is, so that's a proactive step, you know, uh, what tends to happen is if that target doesn't get filled and then you find yourself at the end of November to roll, guess what is usually what happens instead of saying, I remember I'd put that order in because I need stuff out to the July. Well, I still need it out there. Yeah. But instead of taking whatever these July is on that day, it's a lot easier to say, oh, let's just roll it to the March and we'll see if what happens on out there. Yeah. And that happens when you get into the March to the May. It's like, oh, it's a little inverse, you know, but it's even more inverted to the July. I can't set that yet. And it's it's mm-hmm. a terrible feedback loop that you never get out of. So and, and off the topic a little, but this comes back to, you know, when you're doing a pre-spread to have that drop dead date to get something done in this type of a market environment before roll day. Yeah, I think that's a really, the, the drop dead dates is something I've become a big fan of, but I think your point about if your target's not hit, remembering what it was you needed, that's a, that's a really big deal. I don't think I've thought about it that particular way, but if you meant to get to July and you only go to March, you didn't get it done. And Jason's been pointing out a lot lately that if you're carrying corn out into the summer, the July is where the risk is. There's no, I'd say there's no risk in the March, but I mean, you, if that corn is going to the July, no matter what, that's the one that's going to hurt you if it doesn't do what you need it to do. The, the March gives you false hope. Oh, there's a little carry there. <laughs> so maybe they will be carried to the July later on, even though it's deteriorated for three months now. The, uh, you know, early on, Micah, I didn't know much. I, I, don't know that much still, but uh, Mr. White, uh, he would say that he would make these broad uh, statements, you know, and I didn't know what they were, but I was young and I'm like, man, he's smart. I, I yeah. Um, but uh, anyway, as I, as I learn more about it, it's like, oh, okay, but he, he's a uh, inversions always start from the back and they work their way up. So like, you know, your July SEP is, you know, in the back end of the crop and it's inverted and then it, it kind of works its way closer to the front as, as a thing. It was a pretty interesting thing he said, yep. and uh, it seems to be true. So it's along the lines of what Phil's saying, like, hey, once the crop's in, like, we don't have the corn, like, it, it's, it, it deteriorates. Uh, the other thing he said that was, well, he said a lot. He said Jesus Christ was a soybean trader one time. I still don't get that one, <laughs> but I'm going to stay in this business long enough that I get it. And, uh, but, but he said, um, Dees is a trap. He would all, he was, he was really big on that uh, one year. He just kept saying, Hey, this is a, this is a trap. It's always been a trap. And he was talking about, about wheat, uh, not, not corn and beans, like we've been talking about. But I think that that deal is he, a lot of people would say, Hey, there's carried a decent, let's just yeah. set it. And knowing they're going to carry it through fall harvest and everything and try to sell it JFM or, or farther the next year. Yep. And it, it, you'd only get carried to there and then wait and hope carry comes. Well, it's never coming. It, we it's like like with corn beef like we got the crop like what else where are we going to develop at least with wheat it's more of a global crop i guess maybe you could t- convince yourself there's hope but Probably he's not. he and it, it proved itself time and again and i think we're developing the reason i say all that we're developing that with corn and the march i think march is a trap and i think people buy so much corn in jfm out of storage or yep. guys that you know for tax reasons and stuff if you yep. really looked at it you buy as much corn as you ship out in JFM a lot of the time. And the need to get to the March is not that strong. I'm not saying it's non-existent, but it's not that strong. If you're connecting a purchase and sale, do it, you know, and, and locking in margin, of course you do it. But other than that, get out because yeah, like, like Phil saying, the risk is those back end ones. That's where it starts inverting and it inverts way harder back there. So a lot of people are like, well, I'll get to the, March, it's a seven cent carry, but then there's no carry after that. I'll at least lock in carry. Well, 
you know, what's, what's your risk there? You know, it, you know, it goes to 10 or something versus the July. We've seen what that's done the last couple of years. So. Yeah. Especially when you figure out the cumulative rolls you're going to do, because you're not going to set it at the end of November when you really need to. Yeah. It's, it's a, that, that whole thing is a trap. <laughs> the <clears throat> March corn is a trap and, and waiting to make the decision is its own kind of trap because you do just end up rolling one-to-one-to-one. And that kind of goes to my next point on the list here, which is that panic is never a good motive for action. It is a driver of action a lot of times, but if you, if you're in a position where the spreads aren't there, so you move forward to a little bit of carry, then you move forward to a little bit of carry. And then like Jason said, that July starts falling away. You get into a moment where you say, Oh, okay, this thing's going to infinity. Well, we just said earlier that volatility means they move both ways, but the chances that you will see something happen and make a panic decision because of a big move on a given day are much higher. If you haven't thought this through and come up with some kind of plan of action and probably made the decision when it's hard, making a panic decision isn't even hard. It's not fun, but it's, you kind of just do it or making a decision to roll at roll day. Isn't hard because you don't have any choice. You just have to roll. So making a decision when it's hard to make staves off the panic decision later. And I've just never seen a decision that was made in a moment of panic because the, well, this year's wheat is a great example. We're just rocking along doing wheat harvest and all of a sudden the July SEP wheat spreads dollars inverted dollars. Nobody saw that coming. I didn't see it coming. I didn't know what to do once it got there. There's, there's no, I don't mean to make any of this sound easy, but the point yeah. is making decisions to put the futures where they need to be when it's hard to do because you're afraid you're going to miss out on opportunity or the spread isn't as good as you thought takes away the kind of conversations where you say, okay, do I just need to lift my wheat hedges? Do I set this $4 inverse? These are impossible questions, but you're in the frame of mind that you're in when those questions come up is not a frame of mind that you can make good decisions in (laughs) people, myself included, people become different people. Your brain is not the same when you're in that panic mode as it is when you're just thinking about this stuff in the abstract. So I think in a market like this, anything you can do to avoid being put in that situation where you have to make a decision, an impossible decision when you're out of your right mind, that's the biggest risk any of us has in this market. We got to avoid that at all costs. We talk about this ad nauseum, at least Jason and I do, about, you know, on the producer side of it, you know, the, the swinging pendulum of from super high prices to super low prices. And, you know, the panic decisions that can ensue there, well, uh, merchandisers obviously can suffer from the same thing. And it's not strictly uh, a a panic due to uh, one thing. You know, if you're in this mindset where you know you need to have futures out somewhere else and you've got them in the nearby, and then you're just doing what you said, roll a little bit at a time, just keep going inevitably what happens is in these types of markets is then then logistics piles up on you quicker than you can do anything about. So now it's a logistics issue. And in your brain, you're like, I got to get these features out of here and stuff move before this inversion. Well, you could have done that before the last roll day, but putting the futures where you wanted them then or needed them, you know? So this whole thing of, of rolling forward in these types of markets compounds because you tend to buy stuff earlier in the season and so do the end users. And so you tend to have more of a logistics issue uh, on years like this up front. Uh, think about on big carry years, the logistics issue in, in a lot of places is on the back end. You know, it's just, you know, everything's pushed up front on these inverted markets. 
Yeah, and I think I want to reiterate here that in no way is any of this being said critically against somebody or or as if the situations that don't exist that, that do exist don't exist. In other words, there are real problems. Logistics are a real challenge. Price movement is real. All of these things are we don't want to minimize or criticize anybody for these situations. It's just that when we're having conversations with our customers about these panicky things, nobody's having fun. It's, not, it's just not, which is a stupid way to say it, but that's the truth is there's not enjoyable conversations. And in the moment, there's no solution. That doesn't make it easy. Now, these are still complicated decisions that you have to make and things with a lot of unknowns that you have to be willing to leave opportunity on the table. There's, there's a, there's a lot of things that go into it, but there's, it's never good to be in that panic decision mode. It's not good for us talking to customers. It's not good for the customers who are in it. It's not good for the employees of the business. It's just, if there's, if there's a path that leads away from that, we should always take, always take that path, even if it's hard, because those hard is better than impossible and panic mode is impossible. Free spreads are our defense and you, yeah. you got to yeah. treat them that way. And, uh, one wise thing, uh, I hope Jim Simpson allows me to give him credit for this. Uh, but he said at an action meeting this year, he said, uh, he was talking about the May July spread and how, you know, it's, it's not great. And do we get out there and we're going to need it and, and all that. And we're talking about cost of carry on some other spreads and stuff. He said, look, once you're out there, you know, May July, it's not about cost of carry anymore. And, and I, I think this applies to a lot of stuff. Like it's not about cost of carry anymore. It's about yeah. getting comfortable is what he said, which I yeah. thought was really good just get comfortable. If you, if you got all your spreads out to July and maybe, maybe it's only a, it's a, I think two or three cent carry today, like, Hey, at least it's something the last couple of years, it's been devastating. So anyways. Yeah. Gives you flexibility and logistically to, to make it through the year, you know, well, set it. And then if your plan changes, which there's a good chance it will, especially yeah. in years like this and basis pops earlier in the season, Bring them back. Sell. I mean, again, it's it, like you said, Jason, it's a defensive thing, but it, it, it gives you a framework to work in that doesn't pitch you against the next roll day. Yeah, I've, I've lately been a proponent of getting shorts out to July or SEP if, if you know, if you, you carry grain throughout the year and everything, because I'd rather in this environment, well, like you said, it spread, they start inverting from the back and it, it, you know, we don't find carry later in the year. Our risk is that it inverts more. And if your shorts are farther out, your that risk is taken away and actually becomes something that can work in in your favor um so yeah that's the uh, these aren't the most fun conversations anyone ever has but if your corn's going to go to the summer then your spreads have to go to the summer too and you you can either wait and hope for something or or not uh, back in the summer, then let's talk about that. We, we're, we're coming out of this summer, but we're, we can also look forward to next summer and have some thoughts. The first thing is the transition is crazy. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that, that, those, that window, which I don't, you know, depending on where you are, it's maybe a six week window. Maybe it's a couple months, maybe it's only a few days, but when we're, when we're cleaning out the bins and, or running around like crazy, looking for grain in the summertime and harvest hasn't happened yet, weird things take place. I mean, I'm thinking about Northwest Iowa and, and Southwest Minnesota and South Dakota and Nebraska, where they all come together. That's a, that's a big demand area that's had some crop production problems uh, a few years in a row and, and looking at one right now. Last summer, we hit that big inverse and corn basis just fell on its face. 
and it bounced around, you know, but it, it the, the big move was down. Well, this summer we hit that big inverse and the corn basis is just hanging right in there or even getting a little yep. better. Yep. So the, the question came up in the meeting yesterday. None of us were at it, but we heard about it. Does basis still follow spreads? And, and the answer to that is ultimately big picture. Yes. The basis still follows the spreads, but in, in an inverse in the transition, all kinds of crazy things can happen. And so the perfect world scenario is avoid the transition. But if you're not in a situation where you have the luxury of that, like you've got a feed mill, for example, you, you can't avoid it. <laughs> so you have to start, you have to know it's going to be volatile and, and manage the best you can. But a couple things about that, this kind of goes back to Roger's statements earlier, but some of the highest basis numbers we'll ever see are in that transition when there's a big inverse. So in other words, if you're going to see a $2 over basis, a $3 over basis, those kind of numbers, you're going to see them. You can, well, I can't make pictures on audio file, but you're, we're going to fall off a big cliff from you know July or August or whatever it is to the next month, September, or I mean, uh, uh, yeah, September or December or August, depending on the crop in, uh, in question, November rather. So if there's a $3 inverse and we go from even the July to $3 over December, that's a huge basis number that hasn't changed in value at all. Right. And so that's an important thing to keep in mind is, hey, the basis went to $3 over last summer. Depending on where you are and what the spreads were, sometimes the basis went up. Some of that, a lot of times it went over and then up a little bit. So this is just a general principle. But when you, when you think about the crazy numbers maybe you've seen this summer and you're moving into this coming fall, you say, okay, well, we just saw $3. Where can it go? Just remember how that $3 right. got, you know, remember how that number got created. Yes. Got created at least, at least the majority of it came from the inverse and not from the basis, just screaming higher. So that's, that's important. And then also, Jason, you made this point, the, the extremely high basis numbers, even if they work, even if you could have carried from harvest into the inverse and made that number work, uh, typically that's just not a number you can sell infinite number of bushels at. Right. Either logistically you can't ship that much or, or on their end, it's like, no, 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 we're, we're only doing this for, you know, 50,000 bushels because we're trying to fill in something and that'll get us by. So whatever it is. So usually the, it's short term. And a lot of the other thing is with those numbers and the crazy numbers you get in the transition, if you're in the way of that, or, you know, you got farmers that are wanting to ship off of their stuff or whatever. The, the best numbers we see a lot of times aren't even on the basis chart because they're not posted bids. It's a right. relationship with the buyer that, ah, I, you know, train didn't show up, you know, something happened and I got to fill in this. They call people they have best relationships with. So have good relationships with your buyers and you could see um, some pretty big numbers in that scenario. Yeah, and I'll circle back and say that same thing applies going into this fall. There will be numbers mm -hmm. paid in the last quarter of 2022 that never show up on a basis chart anywhere. And you have to be, you have to have earned the right to hear those numbers a lot of times. Just to sum up, uh, I want to reiterate that the decisions that have to be made in a situation like this, a lot of them are difficult decisions because it's just not, the market's just not set up to be easy. The basis is higher than you want it to be in the fall. The spreads are narrower than you want them to be. You think maybe it can get better later. You know, this basis is good. Can it get better later? All these are difficult decisions to make. But I think the profitability in the grain business belongs to the deciders. And if you take nothing else away, the ability to make and live with decisions is the differentiator for success in this business. As always, thanks for downloading and listening. And if you haven't already, please subscribe to the podcast and share it with folks you know in the business. 
And if you'd like to reach out anytime about anything at all or have any show ideas, you can always find us on Twitter at Elevators Cut. Follow us there, tweet at us, DM us, and we'll always respond. Till next time, for Roger, I'm Jason. For Jason, I'm Roger. Thanks for listening to The Elevators Cut. Oh!